0: You're listening to the podcast of Christ Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. We hope these sermons help you to know God through Christ by deepening your belief in the gospel.
1: This evening's reading is from James chapter 3, verses 2 through 9. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, He is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses as that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ship also. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting a fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, We curse people who are made in the likeness of God. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father, we do pray now
0: as we come to this feast, as we come to this table, uh, that you would indeed bless our souls. We pray that you would give your truth, that you would uh, fill, warn, convict, uh, that you would give life. Father, we pray that after uh, sitting under your word and considering even our own mouths, That the words of our mouths and the meditations of our heart might be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. We pray these things in the name of our rock and our redeemer, the Lord Jesus. We pray these things in his name. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, It's good to see you all this evening. We had several of you uh, youngins ask about torch tonight. Here's the deal. Last week we were going to do torch and then Rachel Bickett went into labor. Uh, and the Bickets had a baby last weekend, so praise the Lord for that. Uh, and then, yeah, now the craziness of all that that we just dropped the ball on this week. But listen, kids, you're not going to want to miss this sermon. Uh, so yeah, it's a good week to be here. So we'll plan on something and we'll let you guys know when Torch is happening again, whether that be the next week or the next. Uh, but we have been thinking a lot about wisdom. Wisdom generally uh, over many sermons and introducing the book of Proverbs and then more topically through Proverbs and considering uh, two weeks ago, decision-making in the will of God, and then last week in uh, thinking about work and vocation. Uh, What Aaron just read is what I asked him to read, if you were confused. Uh, That was James chapter 3, because tonight we're going to be thinking about the tongue, about our our speech. Uh, Other than wisdom itself in the book of Proverbs, the tongue, or what we say, is by far the most frequent topic considered throughout the book of Proverbs. There are around 90 different Proverbs, around 90 different one-off pithy one-liners uh, just about our speech. Don't worry, we're not gonna get to all 90 today, but there is good reason why, the, why Solomon and the compilers of this book thought it was so necessary that we have so many different Proverbs. Uh, an average American speaks, opens his or her mouth, and speaks about 700 times per day. Maybe you think you're quiet and not as talkative as the average American. So let's just say maybe half that. Let's just say you, you, you speak 350 times a day. Maybe you think you're really, really quiet and you think maybe half that. So you speak 175 times a day. Uh, fine, we'll, we'll give you that. There are very few things that you do 175 times per day. Like maybe just breathing or like taking a step or something. Like there are very few things that you do uh, as many times per day as talk. So it's worthwhile for us to consider this. We humans are talking creatures. Uh, In the beginning, just as God created the universe by the word of his power, we too, being created in his image, we long to communicate. Uh, Developmentally, babies begin to babble in imitation of their parents' speech, and parents and children can really grow frustrated with one another when they cannot communicate. Several of us were in Central Asia last month, and as we debriefed that trip, uh, the far and away biggest frustration of anyone uh, for all of us on this trip was just difficulty in communication. Mr. M uh, told us that for longer-term international workers, those who acquire and then develop and grow in the language of the people that they are living with and serving, they tend to stay. Those who don't get the language will eventually leave. It's just the way it works. Communication and language is really, really important. Language, speech, or mouths, or what the Bible calls the tongue, are enormously important to who we are as human beings. Even for those of us who are deaf or are mute, communication is hugely important. It's just that for most of us, our mouths most often is the easiest way that we do that. The problem is because it's so easy and because it happens so frequently, we often don't give a ton of thought to what we say or how we say it. But the Proverbs won't let us get away with that. Uh, To not give a ton of thought to what we say or how we say it. In fact, to not give a ton of thought to what we say or how we say it is actually to walk the way of folly, is to walk into the the house of folly, to sit down not at a dinner table or a dinner party of wisdom, but of foolishness, to walk into a dinner party of death, rejecting wisdom. So we're going to think through three questions tonight as we consider our speech together. The three questions are this, what do we say, what should we say, and then how do we say it? Or even how should we say it? So first of all, we're going to think about what do we say? That is, left to ourselves, what do we naturally say? How do we naturally speak? Right off the bat, Proverbs 18.7 tells us that left to ourselves, what we say is actually not good. Proverbs 18.7, a fool's mouth is his ruin, and his lips are a snare to his soul. We'll see many different categories of Foolish, foolish speak, speaking over the next little bit. But left to ourselves, we could say, left to ourselves, we are gossipers, we are liars, we are boasters, flatterers, slanderers, embellishers, insulters, hasty and rash speakers. Often equally as bad, we are silent. We will need wisdom to think through when to speak and when not to speak. The Proverbs have something to say about all these, but before we get into these, I think we should be convinced that we should care about this. Hopefully we have seen that we speak a lot, so we should care, but Proverbs eighteen twenty one says this, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. We'll get to the life part first, but let's look at death. How is it that death is in the tongue? Like, that seems kind of extreme. Like, maybe Solomon's just being a bit hyperbolic here. But first of all, yes, literally. Death can come from words. Like, wars have started because of speech. Murder has come because of speech. Your words have undoubtedly... If you spent some time in reflection this evening, your words have got you into very precarious positions over the course of your life, perhaps even put you in a place of danger, even physically. I think we've all heard stories or perhaps have even been personally affected by loss in our life, been personally affected by depression, whether it's ours or a loved one, even immense self-harm that has come because people... Uh, don't quite know how to think about or respond to harmful words. Other people's words about them have become just too difficult. This weekend, as as I was reading commentaries about the Proverbs and about thinking about specific Proverbs about our speech, nearly every single commentator uh, made some mention of the kids rhyme, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. They mentioned that because it's just a ridiculous phrase. It's a ridiculous nursery rhyme. It's not true. Parents had to come up with something to get their kids to believe because every day children were coming home harmed, hurt by something someone said. And so they tried to like trick their kids with some memorable rhyme to get them to psychologically believe something that's just not true. That words have no power to harm. Because the reality is, is that words can really, really hurt. Proverbs 12, 18, there is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts. You cannot take back something that you say. You can apologize, but you can't take back the wound. You can pull the sword out, but the wound is still there. We've all been really hurt by something someone has said, either to our face or behind our back. I'm sure that we could just go around the room. Uh, and share one-by-one one stories of hurtful words that someone has said to us, we could go around, every single one of us could share, and I'm sure we'd be in, all in tears within minutes. Maybe even something that someone said to you like 20, 30, 40 years ago that still sits and hurts. Words are powerful. Powerful to wound for our entire lives. But here's the thing. Not only powerful to wound the receiver of the words, the other people, but words can also really impact and wound the giver of the words, the speaker. Proverbs twelve thirteen: an evil man is ensnared by the transgression of his lips. The image here is like, like, kind of like a spider web that is coming out of your mouth as you speak. And as you walk, these spider webs are coming out and just trapping you, ensnaring you. I asked Aaron to read from James 3 which explains that our tongues lead us like a bit in a horse's mouth or a small rudder on an enormous ship. Our tongues can start huge forest fires, a whole world of unrighteousness that consumes others and consumes ourselves. How? Well, let's think through some of these smaller categories of unrighteousness, of unrighteous speech that we place ourselves in by just how we speak naturally, what we say, what we do say, left to ourselves. The first is just gossip. Proverbs 18.8, the words of a whisperer are like a delicious morsel. They go down into the innermost parts of the body. Gossip is like a piece of like dark chocolate that just melts. You love it. It feels good. We love to gossip. Why? Why do we like to gossip? I think because it, it kind of puts us in a place of moral judgment, It can put us in a place of exclusive superiority like only a few people know this bit of knowledge. We're in the know. In in jealousy, we can sometimes like and enjoy seeing other people ruined. We love celebrity gossip for that reason. Because I think subconsciously we're, we're all really envious of the rich and the famous, but then when they fail and there's gossip about them, it makes us feel better. Like, we actually deserve their wealth and their fame uh, more than they do because just look at them. They're idiots. They're morons. Like, what do they do to deserve this? I should actually be the one that is this rich and famous. That's essentially what all late night talk shows are. It's just cynical, snarky, sarcastic gossip. Gossip about the world. One definition of gossip is this. Gossip involves saying behind a person's back what you would never say to his or her face. That's a good easy definition of gossip. But why is it so bad? Proverbs 16, 28, a dishonest man spreads strife and a whisperer separates close friends. Gossip puts barriers in our relationships, even if that person never finds out like a celebrity. I think that's what's happened uh, in the way that so many have reacted to the Alec Baldwin tragedy last month in Santa Fe because so many people so vehemently disagree with his politics, then he becomes like this societal other that we can then treat however we like, and say, and feel, and whatever, however we like. He is someone who is undeserving of sympathy, empathy, kindness. He got what he's coming to him. And so gossip, in that kind of way, then creates barriers. I'm likely never going to meet Alec Baldwin, but it has created this barrier in me and him as someone that is undeserving of empathy or kindness or compassion. Gossip does this. And another way our speech eats away at others and ourselves is just lying, dishonest speech. Proverbs 26, 28, A lying tongue hates its victims, and a flattering mouth works ruin. You parents know that it is perhaps the most difficult and frustrating scenario that you can find yourself in. Uh, when two kids are telling two diametrically opposed versions of the same story. What happened? Someone is lying. And I have no ability to figure out who. Why is that a problem? Well, again, as the judge of this situation, I have no ability to discern this. It erodes my trust in them. It causes anarchy in my house. Uh, This is why most societies in the history of mankind have treated perjury like such a big deal. Lying under oath, presenting something to be true, when you have under oath claimed that it is true, it creates anarchy, it causes chaos, and it is demonic. It is what Jesus is getting at in John 8 in telling the Pharisees that they belong to their father, the devil, the father of lies— of dishonesty, left to ourselves, we will not be people of the truth. We will be people of presenting something that is beneficial to us, but is not the truth. And so we left to ourselves are liars. We will also be people of flattery. Again, in 26:28, a lying tongue hates its victims, and a flattering mouth works ruin. Flattery and lying are put here together. And so, if gossip is saying behind someone's back what you would never say to their face, flattery means saying to someone's face what you would never say behind their back. These are both equally untrue things. A form of lying so that you can gain some sort of relational advantage or or social or societal advantage. There, and there is just so much more to say about lying, and flattery, and gossip. Uh, if you want to think more about that, you can find our sermon on the Ninth Commandment uh, from October 14th, 2019, uh, on the podcast feed or the website. But man, gossip, flattery, lying, it is demonic. But it is who we are left to ourselves. Another way that left, or what we do say left to ourselves, we are brash and hasty We are brash and hasty speakers. Proverbs 29, 20. Do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. The fool, or this person who is brash and hasty, just talks and talks and talks. He doesn't think about the consequences of his words. I think that Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and like every single social media platform should like pin Proverbs 29, 20 at the top of their app or their homepage. We do realize, right, as human beings, just because like the New York Times comment section or Facebook or Twitter says, hey, we want to know what you think about this conversation. Add your voice to the conversation. That actually means they don't really care. They just want your engagement because that means money for them. They don't really want uh, your voice. Uh, Just because you can say something doesn't mean that you have to. It's okay that someone posts something that you disagree with, even if they are objectively wrong. You actually can let that flow past you without feeling the need to correct or even comment at all. People have thought wrongly about things as long as there have been human beings. And it's only in about the last 10 or 15 years that we have felt the need or even the ability to correct all of the wrong thinking out there. Because, spoiler, you do not have that ability. None of us do. We cannot correct all of the wrong thinking out there, especially on the internet, where there is like empirical evidence that shows that people do not change their minds on social media platforms or in comment sections. Because Proverbs 10.10 is also true. When words are many, transgression is not lacking. The fool doesn't consider what others might have to say, what might come when there is a patient listening. In the end, the fool thinks he is smarter, wiser, funnier than everyone else in the room, so he has to keep talking. Uh, this is where I've experienced a lot of sanctification in my life, even though I am far from a finished product. I've told many of you this, maybe even from the pulpit, but uh, in our first year of marriage, Marcy and I would have regular dinners with two other couples, the three, three couples, and uh, on the drive home from like the second or third dinner, with the six of us, uh, Marcy told me that I should not talk so much, that I was dominating the conversation, uh, and I was like, "No, I'm not. Uh, people like to hear me speak. Uh, they find me funny and charming and intelligent." Uh, and then she like responded like with like, just like the "oh really" GIF face of just like, like really, people really think. I do not think people think you are as charming and interesting and funny as you think you are as funny and charming and interesting or whatever. And so from then on, for the last almost near 15 years of our marriage, we'll be with others still regularly, uh, like a week or two ago. Uh, and I will feel a hand on my knee under the table, which is a subtle uh, hint, stop talking. Uh, and then sometimes that hand will move to a squeeze, which means if you say the word podcast, one more time, I'm going to knock you out, Uh, (laughs) but the Proverbs are talking to me that I am an interrupter. I am an over-talker. I am a under-listener, and this can get me into trouble. And one way that being an, an impatient talker can get us into trouble is by another way that we do speak, the things that we do say. We speak at the wrong time, Proverbs 26, 7, like a a lame man's legs, which hang useless, is a proverb in the mouth of fools. It does you no good to memorize all these pithy one-liners if you don't know when to use them. The right thing at the wrong time. We can speak truth, but if it is not at the right time, and if it is not full of love and grace, then it is the wrong thing to say. We've already considered this reality, but if you go up to someone after they've lost a soccer game and you say, an apple a day keeps the doctor away, that's the wrong application of a proverb in this scenario. That's ridiculous, but we do this. We do this. You might find out a friend who is in unrepentant sin. You might say nothing or you might say to him or her, Romans 8, 1. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's true. And that person does need to believe that. And actually a deeper belief in that might cause repentance. But this person, perhaps in the moment, needs to hear about what being in Christ Jesus means and what repentance in this specific scenario in his or her life looks like now. When someone is grieving, Romans 8.28 is true that God works everything together for our good, but a person would probably rather benefit from your saying nothing at all and just crying with them, mourning for a little while. There is such a good and there is such thing as a good and universal truth, good advice, but every human is different. Every story is different. And just because something was helpful for you to hear at one point in your life doesn't mean that it will necessarily be helpful in the same way for others. We must become wise. We must become good listeners. We must become wise in understanding what is best, when, and for whom, which is really hard. But left to ourselves, we say the wrong things at the wrong time. Left to ourselves, we are also sarcastic Proverbs 26, 18 and 19, like a madman who throws firebrands and arrows and death is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I was only joking. Your sarcasm brings death. Your biting insults really hurt, and you can justify it all you want as, I was just kidding. Hey, it was just a joke, man. Like, why are you so upset? You can justify that in your own heart, but when you do not use your tongue to encourage others, you are bringing death. And then lastly, to ourselves, in the way that we speak left to ourselves, we can often speak not at all. Proverbs 31, 8 and 9, open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. When we don't speak on behalf of the needy. When we don't speak on behalf of those who are being made fun of, who are being slandered or being gossiped about, when we don't correct lies when we hear them, we need when someone needs a rebuke. We'll get there in the book of Proverbs about receiving and giving rebuke. When we don't give that, this is the way of folly and it is the way that we naturally are. And this carries societal and political implications as well. I think we have all heard the phrase silence is violence. Uh, just many, many times over the past year and a half, the difficulty is becoming people who are actually wise enough to know which larger issues, which specific instances, whatever to speak into. And I'm not saying that's easy. That is very, very, very hard of understanding and being able to discern which things I should speak into. Sometimes I wake up in the middle of the night, like thinking, Should I say something here or should I not? Should I just forget it? Is courage needed here or is patience needed? God, give us wisdom. It's hard. And so the Proverbs have shown us what not to say and how not to speak. That is, what do we say? I think you could have gathered a lot of the answers to our next question already by implication. But now, the next question is, what should we say? I mentioned 18.21 earlier that death is in the tongue, but life is in the tongue also. Proverbs 10.21, the lips of the righteous feed many. Our mouths, what we say, is maybe our most powerful tool for good. Think about that. The tool that God has given you to be most effective, to bring most blessing, is likely your mouth just like it is our, perhaps our most powerful tool for evil. So instead of gossiping, Proverbs eleven thirteen, whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps a thing covered. That we begin to not find delight in gossiping in immediately passing along what we hear. And even better than just merely recognizing gossip, perhaps confronting it and saying, why are you telling me this? Now that you've told me this, now what are you going to do about it? If gossip betrays trust and puts up barriers, then we should be in the business of demolishing those barriers. Instead of lying, we should be truth tellers. Proverbs 24, 28. Be not a witness witness against your neighbor without cause and do not deceive with your lips. Why? Why? Well because we want to image God in being people of the light, people of the truth. We want to give an accurate portrayal of reality. We want to be cultivators and preservers of the true, the real, the right, the beautiful. Instead of being brash and hasty, Proverbs 17:27 whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. He who restrains his words Who actually doesn't speak when there is an opportunity. One of the attributes of wisdom is actually then being able to foresee the consequences of your actions, being able to see into the future a bit of what is going to happen when and if I open my mouth here. The foolish man who opens his mouth too much is just like some fool walking through this field of bear traps, he thinks he knows the way. He thinks and just assumes it'll turn out well. Or he's just oblivious to the danger that he's of this field that he's walking through. He's proud. He's arrogant. He's thinking that the world is just waiting on his every word. I think we all know, perhaps it's you, but we all perhaps know the know-it-all who thinks he or she has to contribute to every subject, whether it be dating or politics or economics or thermonuclear physics the wisdom of engaging in a land war in Asia even pharmacology public health epidemiology I read and listen to lots of books and listen to lots of podcasts about all these things but I am assuredly not an expert on any of them this reminds me of the old saying that they say that the scariest theologian in the world is a first year seminary student (laughs) Uh, A first-year seminary seminary student has learned just enough to make himself dangerous. You know that's why we call uh, second-year high school or college students sophomores, right? Do you know these two words? These two Greek words, soph or sophia is wisdom and mor, moron. A sophomore is a wise moron. He has learned just enough to make himself really stupid. Because here's maybe the funniest proverb of them all. Proverbs 17, 28, "...even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise." When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. Even if you are a complete moron, no one will know it if you just keep your mouth shut. They'll just think you're really wise. Wow, that guy, he is so wise. He just sits over there in the corner and just observes everything. He is so wise. Really, he just doesn't have anything to say, but he's just not speaking, so you think he's wise. Again, part of the wisdom of Proverbs is just learning the norms of culture of living skillfully. A lot of this is just kind of knowing how to function well in society. But those who speak often will often get themselves into trouble. I know I do. So instead of speaking a lot, perhaps learning in, or growing in wisdom is actually speaking little. But also instead of offering advice at the wrong time, instead we will aim for Proverbs 25, 11, that a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. Patrick, I don't know what a golden apple would be on your hot list YouTube channel, but that sounds like a great apple, an apple of gold. I don't know, actually, that sounds pretty gross. I don't know that I'd wanna eat that, but I think we get what the metaphor he's going for, that have you ever received a piece of advice, a piece of counsel, a piece of encouragement that was so meaningful, so transformative, that it was the right advice at the right moment? it was the right word in the right context and why was that the case probably because the words were true and wise but probably also because they were delivered gently they were delivered with care and with love ephesians 4:15 tells us this, to speak the truth in love If we are only speaking the truth but do not have love, it is useless, the truth is. So we might say, hey, just trust God, man. Yes, that's a true statement. You should trust God. Hey, all things work out for the good of those who love him. Yes, that is true. Perhaps not the best advice right now. If we are speaking love with no truth, then our words will just begin to be watered down begin to be lost in just a flow, uh, an avalanche of words. But wisdom, discernment, truth, and love, all of these are needed. All of these are needed because what does speaking the truth in love produce? Well, in the context of Ephesians 4, the body of Christ, the church, is growing up into every way of the head who is Christ. Our words actually are the things that then cause growth by the work of the Spirit through the unity of the blood of Christ, but these are the things that are building us up. Our words of love and truth give life to each other, and they form us into the functioning body of Christ. So all of that to say, don't be hasty. Don't be uncareful with your words because they matter patiently weigh the consequences of what is about to come out of your mouth and if it will be beneficial for the hearer and for you even, the speaker. Obviously, instead of being biting or sarcastic, use your tongue to build up the body, to bring life, to bring golden apples, caramel apples to others. All right, great. So let's go home. And work on not saying the things that we shouldn't say, and say the things that we do, that we should say. You can do it. I believe in you. Ready, break. But James three says, "No human being can tame his tongue. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. There's nothing you can do about it. So never mind." Forget it all. It's pointless. You can't tame your tongue. It's hopeless. Ready, break. That's not true either. So our last question is, then how do we say it? That is, how do we say the things that we should say? How should we do everything that Solomon has just told us to do? Well, class, how do we do any of these things All of this proverbial wisdom that Solomon has given us in thinking about so many different other topics. It's the heart. Proverbs 16, 23, the heart of the wise makes his speech judicious and adds persuasiveness to his lips. Words do not carry any power if there's not the heart behind it. Our hearts guide our mouths. Jesus says in Matthew 12 that a tree is known by its fruits, How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The mouth is just a spigot on your outside wall. The spigot has no ability to produce any water. It just opens and releases the water that is already behind it. That is our mouth. Willpower is not enough. Practice is not enough. Self-control is not enough. No, Solomon and Jesus say that our hearts must change. The things in which we most hope must change. The things in which we think will satisfy and secure us must change. Our mouths are just the spigot. So focusing all of our attention on the spigot has no ability to produce clean water. Why is it that we gossip? Why is it that we lie? Why is it that we talk too much or not enough? Why is that? Well, usually because we value the approval of others more than God's approval. We think more highly of ourselves than of the glory of Christ. We worship a Savior that isn't Jesus Christ. So what has to happen? Well, what we together considered last year from Acts 2. What happens in Acts 2? It's the festival of Pentecost, and at Pentecost in Acts 2, after the ascension of Jesus, the Spirit comes into the people and they are now able to communicate with one another. The speakers are now saying clearly and perfectly, expressing themselves from the inside. And the hearers are now hearing clearly and perfectly, receiving from the outside. This is amazing. It is a reversal of the Tower of Babel from Genesis 11, where speech and communication became disjointed, became impossible because of sin where speakers can't express themselves clearly and hearers can't hear or receive. Pentecost happens when these people hear the words of the gospel and repent. Their hearts are made new when they believe that Jesus is the word of God made flesh, John 1. When they believe that Jesus is God's final word to humanity, Hebrews 1. That the life and death of Jesus Christ his resurrection is God's speech of love to us. It is God's clearest communication to us. And it is then when these people in Jerusalem in Acts 2 could now finally communicate and find rest. The rest They rest because they hear of God's word of approval for them, but only because Jesus had first received God's, the Father, God the Father's silent treatment On the cross, my God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? We receive his approval because Jesus, the Son, received silence. Then they received the Holy Spirit, making their words and communication spring forth like fountains of living water. They no longer needed to gossip or lie or flatter or argue or insult. And so the question for us is, who do you hope in? What Messiah or what Savior do you worship in the day-to-day, hour-by-hour, minute-by-minute hopes of your life? Do you find security in what others think about you? What others think about your speech? If it's intelligent or funny? If that is what we are putting our security in, then just go ahead and don't actually worry about what comes out of your mouth, because who by himself can tame his tongue? No one. And if you claim to love and follow Jesus, but your mouth is still full of lies and gossip and slander and flattery and disrespect, then this might be a time to reevaluate whether you, be, you are being transformed by him inwardly so that then what comes out is a reflection of what is already there. A tree is known by its fruit. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Your words matter for the well-being of your hearers and for yours as well. Your words are either flying daggers or caramel apples of death or of life. So may may the words of our mouths and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in the sight of Jesus, our rock and our redeemer, who has transformed us. God, help us. God, give us wisdom. Let's pray that he would. Our Father, these are difficult things. Who can tame... His tongue, none of us by ourselves. We need wisdom. We need more than just motivation and willpower. We need you, Holy Spirit, to transform us, to give us wisdom, to give us courage to confront some of these things in our own lives. We are so thankful that you have confronted us by your word. Help us to know what to say and when to say it, that we might bring glory to Christ our Redeemer, that we might bring life to others. This tool that you have given us for your kingdom and to serve others, our speech, help us, we pray, to use our mouths even more carefully and wisely. For the glory of Christ, we pray. Amen. We hope you have been encouraged to deeper life in Christ through the preaching of this sermon. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.christchurchabq.com.